Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family. Equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. Family, we, we come to Christmas, and I want you to understand that Christmas is predicated on the ability of God's keeping his promise. I hope you understand that. Um, I want to express to you today God's ability to keep his promises uh, is much like an umbrella. All right? There are four promises that I believe all of Scripture interwoves and connects and, and creates uh, an ability to prevent, protect us, to watch over us, and provide us with a individual attention from God that's pretty incredible. And just like the, the canopy of the umbrella, these four promises are incredible, remarkable, protective, and powerful but the only way that these promises even help us is to hold on to the shaft of the umbrella. And that shaft is Jesus Christ. And as you hold on to the shaft of the umbrella, the four promises that are found really change everything in Scripture. And if you will, would you allow me to walk through these four promises? These four promises are first the Abrahamic covenant or the Abrahamic promise. In Acts, or excuse me, Acts, in Genesis chapter 15, God told Abraham, I want you to go out. I want you to take a cow, a heifer. I want you to take a goat, a ram, a pigeon, and a turtle dove. I want you to take the turtle dove and the pigeon and put them on either side. I want you to take the, the other animals and cut them in half. And it's symbolic of a treaty between a, a high king and someone lower. It's known as a grant covenant. And the boss king, the bigger king, would expect allegiance, but he's giving a gift. But what makes this gift all the more remarkable is if when you read Genesis 15, Abraham sleeps over to the side. God walks through the split covenant. And the idea is simply this. Just like these animals are cut in two, I guarantee I will carry this through or you can cut me in two. This is an unconditional covenant. I will make you a great nation. I will make you a great people. All the world will be blessed by you. And family, you and I bask in that privilege this morning, knowing that in the completed work of Jesus Christ, we have the blessing of the Abrahamic covenant. The whole world was blessed. And we sit here today and get to sing because God, 4,000 years ago, expressed his loyalty to you and to me in that man Abraham. Let's keep walking in history. I want you to come now to the Mosaic Covenant. Mosaic Covenant, unlike the Abrahamic, is a conditional covenant. He says to Israel, I'll make you 
I'll make you my people. I will bless you and, and honor you. You will be distinct from any nation in the world. All you will do is you will follow the Ten Commandments. If you do not follow the Ten Commandments, I want you to read the book of Deuteronomy. There's a lot of curses that are going to happen there. And when you read the end of the history of Israel and Judah, what you find is the total and complete destruction, the decimation of the nation because they didn't live up to the standards, the demands of the Mosaic Covenant. We'll talk about that in a minute. Let's walk away. We come to the fourth or the third of these incredible commandments, uh, these covenants, the Davidic Covenant. The Davidic Covenant, I will believe, rests on some of the demands of the first covenant, the Abrahamic Covenant. It is also an unconditional covenant. God gave no conditions, no expectations to David other than I will provide on your throne a forever replacement, a forever king. And family, I believe in David's mind that at that moment, I believe David thought he was going to have an unbroken reign of relatives that would serve and go on into eternity. I don't even understand that he grasped the full impact of what that meant. But he was given something. And when we mix the three promises together, watch, you have the unconditional Abrahamic covenant you have the conditional. We now come to end of world of Jewish history. And what do we find? We find the nation totally and completely decimated by sin. Totally and completely broken by the nation of Babylon. Broken earlier in Israel by the nation of Assyria. They don't exist in all practical purposes. But Bethlehem comes. Bethlehem comes. And all of a sudden, the Abrahamic makes new sense. All of a sudden, the Mosaic Covenant springs to life again, and all of a sudden, the Davidic Covenant has a new expression, new meaning, new power, new privilege. Family, I want to come to the, the fourth. The fourth is the New Covenant. You see, first covenant, unconditional. Second covenant, Mosaic Covenant, conditional. They screwed up. They messed up. They broke the covenant. There had to be a new expression of that covenant. God says, I'm going to write it on your heart. It's not going to be on stone. I'm going to write it on your heart. It's going to have a new relationship with me. You're going to have a, a, an ability to grasp who I am, and you'll be able to teach it just by yourselves. And as we anticipate that privilege, first to the nation of Israel, then to all of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we recognize that we just celebrated the privilege of the new covenant when we drank the cup we remembered this is the new covenant of my blood and what a privilege it is and we tie all of these together and you sit in these seats today anticipating Christmas morning and you recognize as you've put up a tree and begin to put presents underneath that tree, ultimately what you're doing is you're thanking God or you're celebrating the promises of God. And those promises are nothing more great than the four promises that we call 
covenants. Family, so rich and wonderful are these promises, these covenants, that Paul could write about the protection of Israel, the, the, the ongoing promises to the nation of Israel when he says this in chapter 9 of Romans verse 4, they are Israelites and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. So family, what a privilege it is to now stand on the foundation poured of these incredible privileged promises of God that he carries them through. And so we want to come this morning and recognize at least aspects of all of these promises, but I want you to come with me to Psalms 89, the, the, the expression most complete is going to be the Davidic covenant. We've read the first half of this whole chapter. I want to encourage you, though we'll make allusions to it all throughout the sermon, I want, I'd love you to go back and read the whole thing. Today, you were only accountable to read verse 1 through 4. I want to encourage you today, read all 52 verses. And what you'll do is you'll see the composite of the Davidic covenant in microcosm. You'll be able to see that full expression. It's so incredible that even today we don't know how the author wrote it. The man that's mentioned here in, in chapter 89 um, is, is known as Ethan. He is mentioned right in the timeline of David. And yet, what he writes is so graphically fulfilled at the end of the nation of Judah and the capture of Judah by Babylon, many are wondering, did he write it in prophecy or is this a two-parter that somebody finished when it was all over with? This is an incredibly exhaustive psalm and it, it should encourage you all the way through. So when you do your Advent card today. Go the extra mile. All right? Read all 52 verses. They'll be an incredible encouragement to you. And we'll make allusion to it because to appreciate the psalm itself, we must see the second half. It expresses the grasp or the gap between God's promises and our life experiences. Family, we have to be fair that there are just times when we just, it doesn't make sense, does it? There are times when you're going to go through experiences and you won't sense the promises of God. You will go through things personally. You will go through events culturally. You will recognize that the times in history don't reflect this joyous sense that God is, is in control. And so we need to understand it and see that for a moment. And the second half of this psalm is going to make mention of that. In 38 and 39, we just see that, that God's promises are being discredited. The government is falling apart. There's just, there's, there's just nothing that is reminiscent of the promises of God that God gave to David. In verses 40 and 41, we see the plundering of the country taking place. As Babylon first 
overruns all of the country and then takes and besieges Babylon, or excuse me, Jerusalem itself. And we now see the, the country, the city, just systematically parted and pieced out. In verses 42 and 43, the enemy seems blessed by God. In other words, the very enemies of Israel, Israel should have been able to handle the world's superpowers. The superpowers were destroying them. Kind of reads like news today, doesn't it? And in verse 45, the very line of David, which should be in the vitality of youth. Now let me explain. The vitality of youth, it's only a regime, it's only a, a government about 350 years old at this point. If they're going to live on forever, this, this would be like being teenagers. This isn't a long period of time. He says, but instead of being youthful and vital, they look old and tired and broken. And in every one of these actions, sin is rampant. God is bringing judgment in spite of the promised blessings to David. So when you put the four covenants together and you see, wow, he's bringing an end to this Mosaic covenant. It still has to rest in the reality of the unconditional promise of the Davidic covenant. How is God able to glue all of these concepts, all of these promises together to his honor and glory? And so we come right now to Psalm 89. We get a chance to see how it works. The disaster which Judah will suffer is a tragedy so horrible, in fairness, we wouldn't grasp it well if we went through it as a history lesson. The sin of Israel was awful. What is happening is God is fulfilling his part of the Mosaic Covenant. And he will punish both Israel and Judah. But I want you to hear me out. If God is not behind the disaster, then the tragedy is meaningless. If he's not behind it, there is no solutions to justify it. And so family, that becomes personal. Because now we have to look at the hard stuff that happens in our life when sickness comes, when the loss of a loved one comes, when, when the job didn't turn out the way it was supposed to, when, when our reputation was destroyed and we have no clue why that happened, when everything that's happening out there, if it's not the reality of God behind it, then the only thing left behind it is chance and meaninglessness. If he's not here, there's nothing to give it purpose and meaning. Family, if that's the case, then I also want to assure you in this way, then blessings in our life are meaningless too. You simply lucked out, and the best that you can do is die knowing that no matter what you've accomplished or experienced in life, it was meaningless. Doesn't that sound encouraging this morning? Either God's behind it all or God's behind none of it. And there is your great 
reminder this morning that God keeps his promises. Purpose is found when we see the work of God in chaos and uncertainty and in times of insecurity. So let's come into Psalm 89 and rediscover the promise-keeping love of God. So family, I want you to look first that God's mercies are forever. God's mercies are forever. God's mercies are clear. We trust the Lord's promises so strongly that they're our, our very conversation. Hence, he says in verse 1, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. Family, this is this word, steadfast love. Kevin made reference to it this morning. This was part of, of our, our, our time in communion. Steadfast love is, is that word, hesed. It is so big and so wonderful as you were told today. It's, it's an incredible word. It both expresses the character of God in his relationship to you. He's loving in what he does. But also the actions of God. He's merciful in what he does. All right? If someone tells me they love me, but then do nothing tangibly to express that, then I have no confidence in their love. You follow me? All right? So I need someone to say they love me and then prove they love me. And in the word hesed, steadfast love, we have that, that combination. So we have someone who is involved with us as a loving being and someone who is going to provide a relational love that's physical. Family, so strong is this that when you look at the first four verses that you're going to be held accountable to in our Advent reading, forever occurs three times in the first four verses. Faithfulness twice and covenant once. So he adds to this steadfast love with this incredible reminder of his permanence. God's involved. And we have a forever merciful love that's not just a description of God, but it's yours through the person of Jesus Christ. So in one sense, it's his character. But it's also physical and relational and real. You sang the old hymn today, Great is thy faithfulness. I hope you go home and, and, and remind yourself of inc the incredible faithfulness of God. But remember some of the lyrics you sang. Pardon for sin and a, listen, ready? Peace that endureth. Did you really sing that and go, no, man, that's not true. Pfft. Or did you re realize that when you needed it most, when your loved one passed away, when you lost your job and you didn't deserve what was said about you, when you're struggling with an anxiety that's overwhelming, 
and you have no one to get between your ears, do you find that Jesus Christ is the peace that endureth? You see, the song validates our life experiences. He goes on to say, Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with ten thousand beside. And later on he'll say, All I have needed thy hand hath provided. So family, more than just knowing something about God, you experience the care of God through the person of Jesus Christ. And those mercies that are offered to us are forever. You see, in Christ, you are in a covenant with God. And Kevin reminded us that of this morning in the communion service that we held. As he picked up the bread, we were reminded that this bread represents all of the efforts, the work that Jesus Christ provided in giving us grace but then he raised the glass. And what did he say? 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five. 25, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. When we celebrate, we are saying that God's promise to us doesn't change. Because change is not in the character of God. He is unchangeable. And he's unchangeable in these areas. And let me go through them quickly. Family, we have a new covenant that will not change because God's life does not change. God does not grow old, mature, weak, or strong. He doesn't get better or slip or get worse. God's character does not change. God makes decisions true to his character, bound to his character, and consistent to his character. God's truth does not change. What is written in the Bible will not change. And so, family, we don't come to church to proclaim that this part of Scripture is no longer true. This part of Scripture is no longer true. God's Word is true. God's plans do not change. He has not changed the story of the gospel. He has not changed the demands of the gospel to sinful people. He has not changed the outcome to those who reject the gospel. And he has not changed the blessings to those who respond. God's purpose has not changed. Those planned for redemption will be redeemed. His promise to bless Israel will happen. Uncertain times will come. They were promised that before he comes, life's not always easy. God's purpose has not changed. And so family, I want you to understand in light of that, God's mercies are forever and we will sing and express them. And I want you to notice that's exactly the second of the things that we want to notice that come out of the text. Secondly, the gratitude. 
lasts forever. And and, in using the text here this morning, I want to remind you, he says that individually with my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. And as he says that, and, and we, the universal church, have a chance to read it, I want to invite you to the greatest group action in supernatural history, the praise of Jesus Christ by the heavens. So we're reminded that that we will be worshiping and praising God for His mercy and His faithfulness through Jesus Christ. But in heaven, we'll get the full grasp of that faithfulness of God through Christ. Family, I want to invite you to use your imagination this morning, would you? What is that going to be like? What is that going to be like as cultures and historic moments in time, historic Christ followers come and join together in the privilege of world worship? Right now, it's a matter of faith. Then it's realized. Verse 5 says that even the angelic world will be joining us in worship. Now, why would they join with us in worship? Let me suggest to you 1 Peter 1, verse 12. It says this, It has been revealed to them, not the angels, the them in this text are prophets who are writing the text of Scripture, that they are not serving themselves but you. In the things that you have been, that have been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. So family, can you imagine the angel's just simply looking down going, wow, how did he control human history the way he did? How did he bring about the end of Israel and the rise of Jesus? How did he protect the genetic line to allow Christ to be the exact ruler designed by time and promise? We can't explain that. Wow. Why did he take the blows of all of those wretched people, men and women who denied him for all of world history, and he took that. Why did he offer grace and grace alone? And the only way in which they can come to salvation is to accept that gift by faith. Wow, our God is awesome. And all of a sudden, the angels are joining the humans who've responded to the gospel. And imagine, if you will, the archangels, at least Gabriel and Michael, joining into worship. The four living beasts, head of a human, head of a lion, head of an ox, head of an eagle, joining us in worship. The seraphim of Isaiah, the burning ones, joining us in worship. The Old Testament saints, the New Testament saints, culturally, the present universal church as the Asian community, the African community, the European community, the North American community, 
the native peoples from all over the world that don't embrace any of these identities now come together and those that have responded to the gift of salvation will be offering a praise and a worship to him in an incredible way. Family, I, I don't think we're ever going to come up then as sometimes we do now and say, you know, I don't like that kind of worship. Do you remember Kevin two weeks ago? And, and again, I don't know that it's accurate, Kev, but it's my mind's imagination, and, and you know that, where that lives. But as Kevin tried to explain to us a, an idea of theology, and so as he said, he taught them theology, then sent them off to create a plan in which they can perpetuate the theology that they just learned. And in a very short period of time, they came back and all of them began to sing what Kevin had taught to them. And then in that singing, a few minutes later, they begin dancing in joyful worship for what the theology had taught them. You and I as Northern Europeans, we got a lot to learn. We got a lot to learn. Chapter or verse 15 talks about a festal joy that we come back and we begin to express in an antiphonal way this amen, amen, can't believe it, preach it, it's wonderful. And this joyful festal praise just come because we're grateful for what Jesus Christ has accomplished in bringing us salvation. And we see with new eyes the connections of all of the promises of God as he has been faithful to his people from the very beginning. And we now see differently, think differently, and understand differently. And I want to suggest to you and I today, family, start practicing now. Don't be ashamed of the privilege of worshiping Jesus Christ as your Savior. When you hear a new song that's got great lyrics, blunder through it. Thanking the Lord that somebody was able to put on paper the expressions of appreciation for salvation that are, that are reflected here. If you hear an oldie and you're young, join in and stumble through it and go, wow, how did he put that down to paper, what I am thinking in my head, in my heart? Practice now, because I suspect we're going to be learning new material for all eternity. And let me express to you one last idea that, that springs out of Psalm 89, and that's Christ's salvation is forever. Now, Christ's name's not mentioned but David's is. Without David, we have no Jesus. Without David, we have no Bethlehem story. Without David, <laughs> we got no Jesus. Without David, we got neither Mary nor Joseph. Without David, we don't have a story. Without David, we don't have salvation. Jesus is here in Psalm 89. God made promises to David. And 
we know from history David's sons proved to be quite unfaithful. Generation after generation, people found themselves looking and wondering, is this the one? Only to be disappointed time and time again. It never happened. Finally, God's grace and fullness of time, God reveals the son of David who would be the perfect son. That great king, and it's God himself in the flesh, Jesus Christ. Son of God, son of David, who rescues God's people forever. And family, Jesus' arrival is the very antithesis of what David thought would happen all of those years ago. But it makes the Davidic covenant that much more wonderful to you and I. That makes our salvation that much more wonderful than you and I. Can you and I imagine for a moment that your salvation started in a physical sense, in a miry barn, in a backwater town, in a nowhere country to become the salvation story that you rely on this morning. We never could have imagined that. And it springs from the Davidic covenant. It springs from the promises of God. What a privilege it is. I want you to be reminded this morning of, of just how wonderful it is that promise is foundational to who we are. So Romans chapter 1 verse 3 says it this way, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Verse 6 is yours, including you who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. So family, please understand, set the tree, double the lights. You get every kid, every gift that he deserves. Or she deserves. Remember, the words deserve. I saw your eyes, John. Deserve. You get them every gift. You celebrate. Why? Because your salvation is celebratory. What a gift we've been given. We have the promises of God at our disposal. We have the very shaft of the umbrella, the Lord and Jesus Christ that ties all of the promises together that keep us from the reign of uncertainty, that keep us from the reign of despair, that keep us from the reign of political intrigue. We have nothing. So I want to challenge you. There are many times that you'll say, I can't see Jesus. For some of you today, you can't see Jesus because you're more afraid of our times than you are in the trust of the Savior who said these times would come. Trust Him. Some of you don't see Jesus right now because your life's priorities are stuck in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 
And life has got you sideways with what's truly valuable. And you don't see Jesus today because your material focus has fogged the reality. Some of you can't see it because of times. Some of you can't see it because of sin. Some of you can't see it because of life experiences. What you're experienced with right now is tragic, is hurtful, is grieving. And yet, when we forget that Jesus Christ is behind it, and that he's walking through with us, it makes the fog more foggy. Jesus Christ is there. Like the sun in the fog, it never changed positions. Christ never left. Trust that what you can't see is there in bright and boldness because God's promises never fail. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness and grace. I'd ask, dear God, that you'd be with us in, in, in this particular time. Dear God, this particular time, though we have to admit, dear God, it's not the bombing of London. Dear God, it, it, it's not the persecution that our brothers and sisters in North Korea might be expressing. Dear God, we hate what's going on. We don't like, we don't like the pandemic. We don't like the state of our country right now. We don't like the state of the world. We don't like the fear and the anxiety that we feel. We don't like the isolation. And dear God, all of those can take our eyesight off of what's really, really vital in our lives. The permanent blessings of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I would pray that you would watch over today and allow us to see the realities of God's promises, that Jesus Christ is true and unchangeable. Father, I would pray for those of us who are caught up with a fear. Dear God, may we recognize we need to see Jesus in spite of the fear. Father, those of us who are in sin, I would pray that you would allow us to have examined our life today in light of communion. Dear God, we were, we were privileged to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ through His work and His work alone, called to that redemption by the power of God the Father, moved to express a loyalty to the Savior through the work of the Holy Spirit. Father, we've been blessed. And why would sin, dear God, destroy that incredible relationship that's founded on the blessings of grace? Father, some of us are feeling life experiences to be overwhelming. And dear God in heaven, I would pray that you would allow us to see Jesus Christ. Father, when doubting Thomas couldn't see Jesus, he says, I need the reality. Father, help those who are hurting today to trust what they don't see and what they don't feel. Dear God, if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know the privilege of the blessing because of the offer of salvation that they've not yet received, Father, I would pray that you would work in their heart and life this morning 
and not let them live out the day without having the chance to confront the offer of salvation given to them by Jesus Christ. He did it all and offers and asks only that they respond in the faith of believing. Father in heaven, we thank you for your incredible blessings that are available to us this morning through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you.